us, if you would, to a snow-covered colonial home in New England. It's already December, and winter has laid down her most sprawling and thick blankets of heavy white snow. With great holiday cheer and merriment in the air, it's a little easier to ignore the sinking feeling in your gut that something isn't quite right at this little housewarming party. Every nerve screams and begs you to leave, but you can't understand it. Besides, it would be quite impolite to storm out of such a joyous soiree before supper even hits the table, right? Let's see if your intuition has any merit as we begin this next tale of magic and murder. This story's called All Snowed In. On this moonless night, a snowy colonial home in rural Vermont is flanked by snow-capped trees and rolling hills of slate and granite. Warm and inviting lights appear in every window, and from the crowded driveway where Blair was smoking her second cigarette before heading inside, she could hear the sound of sweet Christmas music playing within. As John approached her, she didn't take her narrowed eyes off the saccharine image of this holiday home. Well, looks like they started the party without us, huh? Yeah, while Mel likes to keep the trains running on time, they probably started right at six. Ah, good. Sounds like Ryan found someone to have a spine for him, right? I actually haven't met her yet, but Ryan must think she's something, all right. You know, considering they're married and all. So, how do you know Melissa, anyways? I'm her sister. Oh, right. What's in the bag? A housewarming present. Shit. Was I supposed to bring one of those? Don't worry. I'm sure your charming presence will suffice. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. Allow me. I'll get it, honey. I bet it's your sister. Isn't it just like her to show up late? Oh my god, Blair! How are you? Good to see you. Come on in and shake the snow off. And is that John Ramchick with you? Hey, what's it been? Two years? How the hell are you? Here, kick off your boots anywhere and come join the party. Thanks for the invite, Ryan. Here, happy holidays, or whatever. Oh, you shouldn't have. Thank you. It's good to see you, buddy. Hey, congratulations on the house. I thought it'd take you at least another couple years to join me in the homeowners club. It really does look beautiful. You don't know the half of it. I'll give you guys the tour after we get you some drinks. Hey... Tonight is going to be a great night. I can feel it. Really, I can. Hmm? All right, come with me. The living room was straight out of Better Homes and Gardens magazine. A roaring fireplace provided the backdrop to a room filled with people, primitive antique decorations, and a heavily adorned Christmas tree. Above the hearth hung two large stockings, monogrammed with an R and M. Oh my god, it's my beautiful sister. Come here. Melissa strode past the young man she was talking to and wrapped her sister in a large embrace. Oh, okay, this is happening? 
It's, uh, it's really great to see you, too. Locked in her sister's embrace, Blair looked around the room, only to see the faces of strangers. The lanky young man her sister had been talking to was wearing an ugly Christmas sweater and gave her a suggestive wink when their eyes met. There was a well-dressed man in slacks and a red cardigan sitting on the couch with a glass of eggnog. He barely looked up for a moment before going back to his phone and drink. Finally, there was a round man with a scraggly beard leaning over the coffee table from his chair as he munched greedily on the crudité, cheese board, and charcuterie. I wasn't sure I was going to be invited over here. I thought I must have missed the housewarming when you guys bought this place and I never heard from you. I thought you guys just bought this place. No, 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 no. We actually moved in way back in June, but Melissa thought we should postpone the housewarming until we got a bit more settled in. Not to mention it's so hard to get people together for one party, we thought, hell, might as well double down on our Christmas party at the same time. (laughs) What's the matter, Ryan? You forget how to do an introduction? Some manners you've got. (laughs) So, who's this handsome guy, honey? Oh, right. (laughs) You two haven't met. Uh, Honey, I'd like you to meet one of my greatest old friends and the worst roommate I have ever had, John Ramchick. John, everybody! (laughs) Don't listen to him. If it wasn't for me, Ryan still wouldn't know how to fold his laundry. (laughs) Not true. Not true. Uh, And this stunning woman who bears a striking resemblance to my lovely wife is my sister-in-law, Blair. How are you doing? Slightly uncomfortable now. Thanks. Oh, she's just kidding. She just needs some eggnog to warm her frozen heart. Blair, John, I'd like you to meet Ethan Webster. He's a friend of Ryan's from work. And this is James, who's visiting all the way from Oregon. He's the one driving that sporty-looking car out front. He and Ryan went to high school together. Isn't that right? Yeah, we did. Ryan and I used to be inseparable. Living in a town of 1,200 will do that to you, though. Right, Ryan? (laughs) Ah, It's good to be back to the old stomping grounds, though. James is the owner of a real estate brokerage in Portland. Yeah, so if any of you are sick of living in the middle of nowhere, I'll be here all night and would love to talk business. Get me tipsy enough, and I'll even consider a friendly discount. Maybe. The man who was eating all the hors d'oeuvres hadn't said anything since Blair arrived. And, uh, what's your name? I'm Derek. I worked with Melissa at the restaurant for a few months this spring, until she quit. Really, I'm just here for the free pizza and beer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Hey, can I have one of your smokes? Uh, yeah, sure. How'd you know I smoke? Your jacket smells like an ashtray. Thanks. Awesome. Blair, John, what are you drinking? Huh? We've got bourbon and eggnog. Uh, a fine Bordeaux that's been breathing for a while. Um, I got a few good IPAs. There's some peppermint schnapps if you want some hot cocoa. What do you want? I'll have a beer. Yeah, me too. Okay, two IPAs coming right up. As the party progressed later in the evening, a swell of heavy, wet snow in the area conditioned and soon, large clumps of flakes began assailing the ground from overhead. Patches of snow began to grow, 
spread and coalesce like hastened white mold. After a couple of hours, Blair could wait no longer to address the severity of the storm outside. And I watched the dolphins swim away. And from that day on, I knew that if I could teach myself to swim, then I could teach myself to do anything. (laughs) Uh, Wow. uh, Two, I don't... Hey, guys. It's really starting to come down out there, don't you think? Yeah, you're you're right. Uh, Let me check my phone. I didn't think it was supposed to accumulate much. Where the hell's my phone? I heard two to four inches at most. Hey, I've got eight inches over here. You wish. Maybe we should think about calling it soon? That driveway is a nightmare as it is. No, 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 no. Listen, we've got plenty of room for everyone here. We have beds, we have couches. I would hate for anyone to have to drive at night through this kind of storm. What if something happened? Ugh, I just really couldn't live with it. Not to mention, we've all had a few drinks now as well. Everyone is welcome to stay the night. The storm should be over by the morning, and we got a guy who plows our driveway. So I'm sure we'll be able to dig your cars out then. I really must insist. Well, I was going to pay for a hotel, but a penny saved is a penny earned. Not much in the way of accommodations up here with all this undeveloped land anyway. Someone really ought to put a proper hotel in this area. A lot of tourists up here, I'd imagine. And I haven't crashed with old Ryan Crane since we were young men. Hey, maybe we can play a game of beer pong. And I can show you I still got it. I was really hoping there'd be pizza here. If I'm staying, better call in delivery now. Anyone see my phone? Oh, you know, I thought I saw it in the kitchen earlier. It's probably on the counter. The number for Paul's is on the fridge. I don't mind staying. Let's not be shy and uh, get into our comfortable clothes. Blair, did you bring your PJs? Screw you. Mel, listen, I don't feel comfortable staying here. Mom has Jasmine right now, and I told her I'd be back before midnight to pick her up. Blair, I'm sure Mom will understand, and that Jasmine will be fine without her perfect little mommy for one single night. Right? She's right, Blair. You've been drinking. Better to be safe than sorry. Please, for Jasmine's sake. There. I just sent Mom a text letting her know you're staying here. Everything is going to be fine, really. I can't even imagine how nervous you must be being this far away from your little angel. But it'll be all right by morning. Okay, I guess. You win. Yeah, that's the spirit. I knew you'd come around. Tonight, there's magic in the air. All right, I'm going to go make some cocoa. Honey, would you help me get some pillows and blankets together for our guests? Of course, sweetheart. So, anyone else feeling the magic in the air tonight? Well, after a few more drinks, I might. I remember Ryan saying weird shit like that all the time when we were living together. The guy was practically a witch. A warlock. Anyways, he used to have all these books on the occult. The Keys of Solomon, Ouija boards, and crystals and shit. It just got worse the longer we lived together. 
Eventually, I hit my breaking point and threw out a bunch of his weird gothic shit, and he ended up confronting me at a party about it. He started swinging on me, but I was a pretty good boxer in high school, so I knocked him on his ass in front of everyone. He was out cold and a couple of people carried him out. I only saw him once after that, where he apologized for what had happened and hoped we could remain friends. It was unexpected, but I accepted, and until today, I hadn't seen him since. I want to know more about Jasmine. Blair, you look far too young to be a single mother. Who in the hell said I was a single mother? No one. I just... I noticed you weren't wearing a ring, so I assumed... That's none of your business, you creep. And don't talk about my daughter. So, how old is she? I really don't want to talk about her. Not here, anyway. Ever since I had Jasmine, things have been different between Mel and I. Once I stopped going to high school, I was unemployed for a while. I couch surfed at friends' and neighbors' places before eventually moving back in with our mom. I think I was an embarrassment for Mel. She never spoke to me, never returned my calls, and I heard through the grapevine she was saying all these really hurtful things about me. That I was lazy, unmotivated, that I was a sloth, and I'd never amount to anything. That all changed when I had Jasmine. Suddenly, she became the perfect aunt overnight. She was at the hospital for the birth, she held Jasmine before our mother could, and she sobbed hysterically while she held her. After a couple of months, I had to ask her to give me some space. She had started reading all of these books on raising children, and suddenly she was a fucking expert about everything. It was obnoxious, and I felt like she was trying to take my baby from me or something. It was super weird. Anyway, I don't talk about Jasmine around her anymore. She's probably just jealous and can't wait to become a mother herself. Fat chance at that. Rumor around the office is that Ryan was furious when he found out our corporate health insurance doesn't cover elective fertility treatments. Long story short, he paid out of pocket for over a year for him and her to get treated for, quote, fertility deficiencies. Needless to say, here we are a year later and still no pitter-patter of little feet. <laughs> Sounds like the Mrs. Is Baron and the Mr. Is firing blanks. <laughs> Suddenly a red blur flew across the room and exploded above the heart. Faint sizzling could be heard in the silence as cocoa dripped down the wall over the hearth and onto the hot stone floor of the fireplace. A red Rudolph mug was fractured in front of the fire. We're working on it, Ethan. And frankly, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So keep your goddamn mouth shut! Ryan, calm down. Honey, what's going on? Are you alright? What's wrong? I'm sorry, everyone. It's just... It's just a sore subject. Honey, could I please talk to you privately for a moment? The couple left for the kitchen, and their low, rumbling voices could be heard. Derek returned without his phone and asked what had happened. Being stuck in their present predicament with an upset host had rendered most of the guests speechless and lost in thought. After some time, the group abandoned the polite pretense that they must all stay together in the living room and began splitting up. James wandered off into their office to check emails. John went to look at the rooms upstairs. Ethan was sitting alone at the dining room table with a couple of beers, and Blair attempted to fall asleep on the couch. 
Derek found Melissa alone in the kitchen. <coughs> Mel, you're out of beer. There's another 12-pack. Check the mini-fridge in the basement. The basement light was dim as Derek descended the steps. The basement was large and broken up into side rooms. Against the far wall from the bottom of the steps was a mini-fridge. Derek's eyes were so focused on their target that he didn't notice the soft footfalls behind him. He pulled open the fridge and grabbed a can of beer. From his pocket, he produced his keys. Four down here is dirt anyways. Might as well shotgun one right here, he thought. He was just about to puncture the bottom of the can when he felt a huge blow against the side of his head. Feeling the warm stream of blood flow from his head, he was frozen in shock as his vision began to dim. Crimson blood covered the can as he dropped it noiselessly onto the dirt. He collapsed all at once, dead. John was exploring the upstairs when he came across the master bedroom. A spacious room without clutter, there were a couple dressers against the wall, along with two black nightstands abutting an ebony-framed bed. The silk sheets were red and seemed to stand out in gothic contrast to the rest of the room. John walked over to one of the nightstands and opened it. Inside it, there was only a leather-bound book marked with strange-looking sigils and glyphs along the spine. Hello there. When John opened the book, the pages inside disturbed him. There were various crude drawings of monstrous humanoids, sometimes devouring or torturing people, but every hand-drawn image seemed to leap out of the page and flood John's mind with disturbing thoughts. As he turned the pages, he realized quickly that in this infernal book, written in strange pictographs, were instructions. Roman numerals existed beside every image, with the foreign picture language seeming to describe directions. John noticed an earmarked page and turned to it. The drawing was of a black seven-pointed star with small clay pots at each tip. Next to each pot was a letter. The letters were R, M, J, J, B, D, E, and at the center of the circle was another grotesque drawing of a man and a woman having sex. The woman's stomach was distended and engorged. Like all the others, there were numerals citing the instructions, but to John, the thing that filled him with profound dread was nothing to do with the book's illustration, but with the two fresh check marks made with modern gel ink, next to the numerals for one and two. It was a startling realization that each of the letters at the star's tip could correspond to the names of everyone in this house. John? What are you doing here? John heard her voice from behind him. He paused for only a moment before tucking the book between the waistband of his pants and himself. Turning around, he saw Melissa holding a tray with a cup of cocoa and a couple cookies. Her suspicious eyes betrayed her phony smile. Oh, I was just, uh, exploring the upstairs a bit, looking for a place to lie down. 
Gotta say, love the sheets. I feel like I'm in Amsterdam again. <laughs> yes, well, I'm afraid this is the master bedroom. If you follow me, I can show you the guest rooms. Would you like a cup of cocoa? Uh, n no thanks. Downstairs in the living room, Blair had fallen asleep on the leather sofa nearest the fire. The room was quiet without the rest of the party chattering about. She had only been sleeping for a few minutes when she heard someone walking, no, sneaking into the room. Through heavily squinted eyes, she watched Ethan drunkenly tiptoeing closer to the couch. He set down an empty beer bottle. Her heart began to race as he began to slowly sit down on the couch, practically on her. He began to lean over, lips pursed, and she could smell the sour alcohol on his breath. Don't even fucking try it. She opened her eyes in time to see the anger on his face. His features contorted into a purplish grimace as he grabbed her shoulder roughly. Look at me! I, I want you... Get the hell off me, you creep! Before she knew it, she had reached out and slapped him. In her haste, she had missed his face and struck his ear. He let out a howl as he recoiled for a moment, covering his ear. With startling speed, he flung his head forward and caught the bridge of Blair's nose with his speeding forehead, causing it to crunch and buckle. She yelled out in pain as she felt the blood beginning to gush out of both nostrils. She covered her face and braced herself for another blow when she heard a sudden noise cut through the pandemonium. Just as she let out a scream, Blair saw the rest of the party rushing into the room to investigate. For a moment, everyone stood frozen amidst the din of Blair's sobbing. Finally, James walked over and grasped Ethan's limp wrist to check for a pulse. After a moment... He simply shook his head. Melissa seemed to be in shock as she rushed over to Blair and helped her to a bedroom where she could lie down to stop her nosebleed. Ryan and the other two men began a heated discussion about what had happened, and when Ryan stormed off to the bathroom to wash his hands, the others followed. Ryan, listen to yourself. A man is dead. You need to call the police right now or we're all in danger of being accessories to manslaughter. I'm not calling the police until I figure out what to say. I'm the only one in danger here, not you two. Just give me a minute to think, for God's sakes. Oh, to hell with it. I'll call them myself. James, did you ever find your phone? No. Shit. Can I use yours? I seem to be missing mine as well. You know, I think that Derek had lost his too. Say, Ryan, where is Derek? What? What are you talking about? How the hell should I know? I haven't seen hide nor hair of him since your first little outburst earlier. After all the screaming, I'd expect him to show up to investigate. Got something on your mind, John? So say it. What's wrong, John? What's wrong is that our lovely murderous host here is lying to us. We are all very much in danger, aren't we, Ryan? Now you listen here. I don't know what you're getting at, but if you want to accuse me of something, you'd better get to the point soon. John felt a bead of sweat trickle down his back 
as he looked into those cold eyes. In two swift movements, he had produced the book from his waistband and a pistol from his jacket. He drew it level with Ryan's head. Whoa, whoa, John, easy. I found this little grimoire upstairs in your bedroom. Now you have exactly three seconds to start telling me what you're planning to do with us, or so help me, I will kill you where you stand. John, don't. Three. You cannot be serious. Two. Has everyone lost their damn mind? One. Wait. If you give me a chance, I'll tell you everything. What happened to Derek, why we summoned you all here tonight, why I can't call the police. I'll tell you if you only let me. Please, let's hear what he has to say. John's white knuckles gripped the pistol tightly as he stared into Ryan's cold eyes. He felt the pinpricks of sweat trickle down his forehead. He had always felt safer when he was carrying his concealed weapon, but now, in the moment, he really hoped he wouldn't have to use it. Okay, Ryan, where do we begin? If you follow me to the basement... I'll show you what happened to Derek. Blair was lying on the bed in the guest bedroom with an ice pack pressed against her nose. Despite the tissues crammed in her nostrils, small tricklings of blood could be seen on her lips. Melissa sat beside her on the bed, soothing her sister and holding her hand. Do you think the bleeding stopped? I don't know. I can't tell. Let me have a look. Uh, I'd keep some pressure on it. Tilt your head back. That'll help. I still can't believe he's dead. Mel, Ryan killed someone. What are you going to do? Shh. It's okay. We'll figure it out. Right now, all I need from you is to stay calm and let me take care of you, okay? Melissa got up from the bed and moved to a desk where she had placed a bottle of blue curacao and two shot glasses. I know you said you didn't want another drink, but given the circumstance, Blair, I think we could both use one right now. Is that blue curacao? Gross. Do you remember the time we stole that uh, bottle from Mom's pantry? Uh, Man, we must have been like 13 and 14. (laughs) Yeah, I do remember that, actually. We drank it right from the bottle. And when it was all gone, I got sick and you took care of me. With her back to Blair, Melissa silently opened the top drawer of the desk. She gently placed a bottle of Drano next to the other bottle. And look at us now. I'm still taking care of you. She had poured one shot of Curacao and splashed a bit into the other glass. Yeah, I guess you're right. Thank you. She topped off the other glass with Drano, silently admiring the similarity in pale blue color. She slipped the Drano back into the drawer and shut it. What are big sisters for? Here you go. Just what the doctor ordered. Thank you, Mel. I'm sorry things between us have gotten so strained. You're still my sister. And that's what we'll toast to. To sisters. To sisters. Ah, delicious. <coughs> Mel, what was that? <coughs> what did you do? In an instant, Melissa was on top of her. She grasped <gasps> a pillow and forced it down over Blair's reddening face. 
Muffled screams and choking gasps filled the room as Blair flailed and kicked wildly. Melissa leaned all her weight over the pillow that was suffocating her sister. Rage fueled her strength as she felt blood coursing through her veins, pulsing with every beat of her wicked heart. She pushed and pushed against the pillow, driving her sister's head deeper down against the mattress. The smell of vomit filled the room as it leaked out from under the pillow. After a minute of struggling, Melissa felt Blair's resistance weakening, and the gurgled, choking sounds slowed. And after five minutes, Blair was dead. You were never fit to be a mother. The three men entered the basement and descended the steps. Ryan was first, followed by John with the gun and James bringing up the rear. The book you found is called The Rites and Rituals of Elder Dead. It's been in my possession for the last three years after finding it in an old bookstore in London. I've spent this time translating it as best I can, and I think I found something that would be invaluable to Mel and I. Does this have anything to do with the seven-pointed star on the page that you had earmarked? Yes. It is a ritual. A fertility ritual. Okay, forget all that shit. Where is Derek? Just a little farther. Ryan led them through an open doorway in the basement, opposite the mini-fridge. Had they looked over... James and John would have seen a great circle of blood-soaked sand before it. The group passed through the doorway and into a room so dark that they could barely see, save for the circle of candles surrounding a seven-pointed star drawn in the sand by poured salt. At each of the star's tips, there was a mason jar. Even in the dim candlelight, John could see that the three of the jars contained a dark black liquid. Derek is dead. See? Over there. The two turned to look, and in the darkness they could make out a black shape on the ground. Occasionally, a stray flicker of candlelight illuminated the bloody face of Derek, whose eyes were wide open in silent terror, and the pickaxe that stuck into the side of his head. Shit! We're gonna die down here, man. Maybe you should shoot him. We're not through yet. Each of us is here tonight for a reason. A very special reason. We are all arbiters of sin. We exemplify and embody the traits associated with the seven deadly sins. Bullshit. You stupid bastard! Can't you see... You with your braggadocious stories of how great you are, how much better you were than me. I know you too well, John Ramchick. There isn't a humble bone in your body. Pride. And James? Look at you. You moved away from the small town that was holding you back and got what you've always been after. Money. I remember when you were a snot-nosed little shit wearing my hand-me-down sneakers to school, but I bet that just killed you. You always wanted more, 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 and when you finally got it, I knew you'd want to come back to show off just how well off you are now. All I had to do was grease the wheels with an offhand remark about the number of vacant properties in the area, and you'd come running to see if there's a penny to be earned. Greed. 
that fat shit rotting in the corner, lured him in with the promise of pizza. Can you believe it? Gluttony. That fucking pervert dead upstairs, lust, and Melissa and I, envy and wrath. It is written that if a woman copulates within the seven-pointed star anointed with the blood of all the arbiters of sin present, she is certain to conceive a beautiful, healthy baby boy. Can you even hear yourself? You actually believe this shit enough to kill for it? To kill all of us? We were your friends and family, Ryan, not pawns in your sick fairy tale. And what about Blair? She was a sloth until the day she died. Melissa ran the kitchen knife across James's throat so roughly that it tore into his neck and was stuck for a moment. She struggled to free the blade as James slumped forward, taking her to the floor. Ryan let out a howl as he lunged at John, who was distracted by Melissa's attack on James. Ryan's hand grasped the barrel of the pistol as he struck John in the chin with a deftly aimed punch. The two men became tangled together as they, too, collapsed to the floor. John tore at the gun, desperate not to lose control, knowing full well what would happen if he lost it. He rolled on top of Ryan and pulled at the gun with both hands. He could see Melissa had almost gotten the knife loose from James's throat, and with a final tug, she freed the blade. Her hands were red and slick with blood, and the blade flew out of her hands and scuttled onto the floor, obscured by darkness. She felt around on the ground for the blade. Ryan let out a grunt as he brought his knee up into John's groin. The pain racked his body as Ryan was finally able to pull the gun away from his fingertips. With a darting glance, John saw the blade glint in the flickering candlelight for only a moment. Melissa saw it too, and together they both lunged for the knife. John got there first and grasped the hilt tightly. With Melissa in arm's reach, he grabbed her roughly and stood up with his free arm around her neck as he pressed the tip of the blade against her temple. He looked at Ryan, who had gotten to his feet as well, and was standing immobilized in front of him, gun pointed at the two of them. Drop the gun or I'll kill her, Ryan, and all of your work for the sick fantasy will be for nothing. Don't test me. Shoot me and you'll hit her. Ryan's eyes looked from Melissa to John, then back to Melissa's. It was hard to tell in the darkness, but John thought it looked like he was smiling. Darling, do you trust me? (laughs) Of course, sweetheart. Good. The bullet struck Melissa's left shoulder and went through the other side and lodged itself into John's chest. He let out a gasp as Melissa shrugged him off. He fell to his knees, hand pressed against the smoking bullet hole just below his heart. He looked up to see Ryan, no longer smiling, but instead standing only a foot away and baring his teeth, which shone in the candlelight. See you in hell, you arrogant prick. The first shot exploded John's head as the body fell back onto the floor. Ryan's eyes were wild as he pumped the body full of bullets. When he was done, he let the gun fall to the floor. Melissa, holding her shoulder grimacing, walked over to him and embraced him, burying her face into the crook of his neck. We did it, love. 
It's all over. I'm sorry things turned out like this. I wish there was another way. We did what we had to do. Nothing else matters. I love you. I love you too. Three weeks later, the snow had melted, revealing dark, muddy patches of barren earth. Outside the country home, two police cruisers and an ambulance were parked with their siren lights on. When the detective walked in, he was struck by how normal the home seemed. It was clean, well-furnished, and yet somehow felt sinister. He knew from experience to trust the feeling in his gut when something felt wrong. He entered the kitchen where he found his partner already surveying the scene. So, what do we got? Not much. We've searched the whole house and found no signs of struggle or anything. Got a missing kitchen knife and some possible blood splatter in the living room. No sign of the homeowners either, huh? Right. We got a call from one of the homeowner's mothers a few weeks ago, saying that her daughter left her child in her care for the night while she visited her sister for a housewarming party. When she didn't return the next day, the mother called us and we sent an officer over. He claims that both homeowners were present, but there were no cars in the driveway and that the homeowner said that everyone had left the previous morning and they hadn't heard from anyone since. Was he able to look around a house at all? No, unfortunately. When he asked to come inside, the gentleman at the door refused to let him in without a warrant. It's taken us three weeks of investigating with no sign of the five missing persons that attended this party to drum up enough cause to obtain a warrant. Looks like they're long gone now. Looks like clothes are missing, as are the homeowner's vehicles. I did notice some freshly dug dirt in the basement, and I have a crew of guys down there now to start digging. My guess is we find our missing guests all in one place. I see. You're probably right. Did you find anything else? Just one thing. What do you make of this? He held up a large plastic evidence bag. Inside the bag was a pregnancy test. Even from where he was standing, the detective could see two red stripes boldly showing.